0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Africa for Dummies podcast. As promised, this is the second episode on national security in Africa. Be sure to check out the first episode. And thank you so much for listening. Be sure to leave a rating um, and follow us on all platforms. Thank you so much.
1: I am an African.
0: I think uh, you did a great explanation about uh, talking about the resource endowments that uh, Africa has. And I think in your explanation sounds to me like it sounds to me I could be wrong and and please uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong but it sounds to me like Africa seems to get acted upon and it doesn't seem to act in any way so it seems like these other countries for example uh, you said Silicon Valley and for example the US is probably building these these bases simply to uh, protect its uh, own interests and these other countries are doing the same thing and it it seems like Africa is being you know, um, acted on. Do you have any examples of any particular country that perhaps is um, leveraging this interest uh, to perhaps uh, support its development goals? Or are there ways, or do you see an opportunity here that Afri- African nations are not uh, seeing?
1: For example. Yeah. So um, in recent times, a very important resource, lithium, which is very good for the electric vehicle industry because it is used in the manufacture of batteries. Zimbabwe has it in abundance, but with a catch, the Zimbabwean authorities are saying that, look, we have it, but it's not going anywhere in its raw form. If you want it, come and stay here, add value to it and take it away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, leveraging on the resources to develop your domestic environment or economy. Mm-hmm. Um, Rwanda is doing something similar. Um, we found DRC recently uh, President Chichiskedi went to Beijing to renegotiate an earlier agreement that allowed uh, Colbert to leave um, DRC a return, um, for routes and hospitals, it means China will build roads and hospitals for DRC while they take back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is quite um, controversial. But then, if those roads and hospitals are built, then it adds to the infrastructure of a country that is lagging behind in the sector, or in in that field of infrastructure. There's there's so much infrastructure gap uh, when it comes to um, they are... so countries are finding ways and means to leverage on the, these resources, but most of them are not doing so. Most countries are just ready for the cash. If you are taking my help, bring the cash and then go, I mean, let's, let's get a cash and the cash ends up <laughs> where we know ends up. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, buying of, um, uh, presidential convoys in a yeah. um, travels out outside and, yeah. uh, Spouses and children of leaders and um, squandering these resources. The Equatorial Guinea. Equatorial Guinea is a very small country with so much oil. And um yeah, the president has his son as his vice president. And in recent times, France had to complain about the kind of luxury that the, 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 the son was living in France and seize some of the properties. This president, this is a of plan. Plan. yes. So, so <laughs> this This son has a house that you can drive like about twenty-five minutes. You are still driving by his house. Oh, and, wow! And it has a football field in that house. When I saw that, I was, I was, I, I was shocked. I mean, I they pointed to this the house of the president's son. I mean, who does that? You know, but, but, but it's happening. So. Um, these are the things. Some are doing it, others are not. And that is where we have a challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Which sort of uh, leads me to my uh, right, next sorry, I think that just a, sure. a slight engine. What's actually interesting with the Equatorial Guinea is in uh, just a few years ago, maybe five years before COVID, Equatorial Guinea's GDP was higher, GDP per capita was higher than Spain. Uh, I think how one. Definitely higher than Greece, higher than some first world countries. And yet I think it should be over sixty percent of their population is in abject poverty. Uh and the yeah, it's a very fascinating story. The the, the current president, uh Nguema Obian, has been in power for what, forty something years? Is the yeah, long, it's, longest serving average president Yeah. So yeah that wait let's you,
0: you said the gdp per capita was higher than spain's however the yeah. poverty that's pretty interesting yeah. because G- gdp per capita is supposed to be a metric that shows you at least a glimpse of wealth distribution yeah but
1: then in yeah, this well, case well people may come in it doesn't really yeah. show wealth distribution it okay. is a, it's more of a hypothetical something that if we divide your resources by your population, okay. each person gets. So it doesn't mean that has been distributed.
0: Yeah,
1: so, yeah. Equatorial Guinea, you have this huge GDP by the people, and the population is barely one million. And so <laughs> you can imagine. And they at the, the last time I checked, they were exporting what than four hundred thousand barrels a day. Wow. And, yes, and the people are poor. The people are poor. When you come together, you find mm. them here. Yeah. I mean, some of them schooling, and some of them living in a very, I mean, a yeah, public situation. So huh. it it's so bad. This is a country that shouldn't even have its youth migrating from it. They should be comfortable where they are, you know. Yeah. But know what is happening? So it's it's yeah. sad.
0: Yeah. So I guess Zenga, what you what you said kind of shows the the huge difference that exists because you have a country who's a population smaller than Spain but has a higher GDP per capita than Spain however it, there is a, a, a just a, an unimaginable amount of, of, of poverty
2: they call it the African North Korea because of how wow the regime is and you know the funny thing is now I'm going on a tangent but maybe we should do an episode on this but the previous president was even worse apparently this one is stable but Just as uh, authoritarian in many regards, Uh, but yeah, it's very—they call it the African North Korea. Although potentially it could be the African UAE. So it's a very, (laughs) uh, it's
0: very sad thing. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, my my question was uh, related to I think something that you had said um, because it it seems like you know, um, you know, it seems like Africa is you know blessed with all these resources. And uh, should be able to stand by itself, but however, we do realize that uh, we we do require a lot of those countries do require um, external assistance, and it means that we have to sort of uh, partner up with other countries, and we have to uh, foster these relationships. And you know, the next question is, how do we do that effectively while still you know respecting sovereignty and uh, promoting long long term stability?
1: Uh, repeat that. Repeat that. I didn't get that
0: clear. Yeah. So how can Africa? How can partnerships between African countries and international actors be fostered effectively? Uh, to effectively address security concerns while still respecting, you know, sovereignty, and promoting long-term uh, stability.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. I get it now. Um. So one very important uh, ingredient is national interest how do you put your national interest first in negotiating with these global powers? So in negotiating with them, if the people are at the center, you put your people at the center of such negotiations, you put the interest of the state at the center, of course, you will have a better deal. But if it is all about political comfort and the benefit of the few, then definitely you are not going to sign deals that have positive long-term outcome. You always sign short-term gratifying or, or, or short gratification uh, deals that will not benefit the people. Again, Africans must learn, African states must learn to have a united front in negotiations. You don't. A country like Ghana cannot negotiate with the European Union and have a fair deal. No. Where do you say that? The balance is so... Is so bad. But if West Africa, let's say ECOWAS, is negotiating with European Union, then you will find something strong. If the African continental free trade area is negotiating with Europe, then you find out that we have what we call um, collective bargaining, which mm. makes you strong. For a long time, Ghana and d'Ivoire are neighbors, and they all produce kobu. And Cote d'Ivoire is number one, Ghana is number two in the world. But for a long time, they sold their produce with different prices or for different prices. They could not come together to agree that apart from the world market, this is what we are doing like OPEC does. It's recently that they have built that kind of um, cooperation where they can have collective bargaining to have better pricing in the world market. And currently, as I'm speaking, th- this morning, in New York, cocoa price has jumped very high. Mm. across $3,000 and above per metric toll, and which is very good. So if you come together, good producing countries in Africa come together that look good, we are going to restrict the supply of good into the international market, the prices will shoot up, you bring it in, you get, the, you get the prices. Saudi Arabia is always doing that with oil. Other countries are doing it and nothing is happening when we do it nothing will happen we can come together and do that but then but you have what yeah you have a situation where terrorists are taking advantage of gold. foreigners are taking advantage of gold, thieves and uh, looters, and all kinds of people are taking advantage of our good so we can't even keep track of the good and that is so- so wh- what do you what do you think
0: stops our leaders from because it seems like uh you say that uh when we're when we're talking about um negotiating on the table it seems like the main thing again is back to the leader of the particular country uh so and if that person has national um interest but I think it's um it should be even like if 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 for you as an African leader if you want stability I think that you know, fostering these deals that you're talking about should be in your interest because it should improve, you know, the situation in your country. For example, you talked about the 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 cocoa issue. What seemed to be the issue and, and, and you know, you saying that also has brought a point in my head. Why is it taking this long for, you know, and Ghana to come to the table and to sit down to the table to negotiate such a deal? Why do you think is stopping African leaders from coming together and sitting down and, you know, uh, you know, signing sorts of, uh, agreements and, and creating these sorts of agreements that could be extremely beneficial for their country? Sort of a loaded question, sorry, but yeah.
1: Don't worry, don't worry. Um, first, firstly, he realized that Africans respect their relationship with outsiders than among themselves, than th- those okay. relations among themselves. Uh, mostly when we find Americans uh, and the Chinese come down, we tend to even sell our own people to them. I mean, this person is not, that person is not. I mean, we are like that. Now, that has been the problem. Much Many <clears throat> countries are so tied to the apron strings of their former colonial masters. So, uh, Ghana is taking a decision, the UK doesn't like it, and Ghana is becoming reluctant to take that decision. But even that is less when it comes to Fra- uh, Francophone Africa is worse because France has so much control over some of these Afri- uh, Francophone countries and still control what the decisions they take and all that. And some of these um, actions have led to the loss of control of or their grip in the Sahel. That that is very that is very critical. Again, there's another um, inconsequential and unnecessary rivalry. That happens, I mean, uh, among leaders in Africa, where leaders want to be more domineering. So what outsiders do is that when they see that you are very, I mean, domineering or you are dominant in your region, they see you and the rest may either reject you or get along with you. So no, no domestic or internal unity happens. There's always this kind of division here and there, ideological, and currently we have cool makers in Burkina Faso and Mali, who is going to sit down with the coup makers to negotiate and come together? And I mean, so this kind of uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, lack of homogeneity, political homogeneity, and unnecessary uh, personality clashes and rivalry is 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 among the reasons we can. And sometimes there are other things that people mention that are very ridiculous uh, to say, the, for, for want of a better word. And and there is the fact that they say this is. The language barrier. <laughs> well, well, that is ridiculous, because European Union has twenty-seven, uh, about twenty-seven official languages, but it is still the most effective regional organization in the world. When you come to Africa, together we have only about four or five international languages. Let's say maximum six international languages in Africa. And yet we are talking about, we are talking about language barrier. No. When the Portuguese got to our coast in the 1470s, did they understand our language? No, but they, they were able to trade with us. they took too good. We took something from them and they took too good. How, how did we trade? Because <laughs> there was double coincidence of want. They had something we wanted. And we had something they wanted. Slaves. So, <laughs> so, no, slaves came later. Slaves came later. I, I, I'm talking about the initial contact. Okay. In fact, the initial contact with Europeans was like any other respectful and civil contacts mm. until they started doing things that was untoward in, in, in Africa. So, initially, when they got there, they saw the good. They had other finished products, and we also wanted it. So we exchanged, even though we did not understand each other's language. So in Africa, we can't talk about language barrier as, as a serious barrier towards our unity. You know? So that is, that is one of the things. And some people have mentioned geography. I have a lot of articles that have debunked some of these things. Uh, I mean, they are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But the others I've mentioned seems to be the, I mean, Iggy Leadership, uh, personality clashes. Uh, one one country trying to dominate, for instance, look at Rwanda and DRC. Now the clashes between them, you know? So how can Kagame or Chisiskedi decide to sit down and negotiate? I mean, they can't do anything. They, they will be divided, and these are the things. Even in West Africa, Francophone leaders see themselves as a little bit more Having an upper hand because the in terms of the number of countries they are more than the Anglophones. The Anglophones also see themselves as having superior economies, like Ghana and Nigeria. That is the first and second largest economies in West Africa. So all these things happen. Uh, they meet. They give themselves uh, some respect uh, in front of the cameras, but they are rivals. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: And and I think I think uh, this is interesting. We are primarily talking about leaders and egos. I think one thing that's also uh, probably important to discuss when we talk about sort of the security and development nexus in Africa's story is probably the people and particularly the youth. I think we started talking about how military leaders are primarily youths as well. What type of, um, you know, most of these countries, I think when you look at Rwanda's case study, Uh, of post-genocide development, there seem to have been a lot of ownership and people's involvement of their peace and uh, their security. Uh, As much as Rwanda is controversial to uh, Congolese, uh, Rwanda, I think no one can deny Rwanda's achievements when it comes to women's rights and uh, uh, how fight has come. And many people attribute that to ownership, owning their security rather than, you know, cases where a country goes and then tells them this is how you rebuild your country and uh, this is the bad guy and this is the good guy and make sure this guy is president um, For the people what um, what do you think Africans are missing uh, with when it comes to owning their security what do you think um, what do you think should be done and who do you think is in the way? Of Africans being able to own their security, I think when you look at the African Union, for example, the chief security, you know, the chief security, the custodian of African security, uh, many of much of its funding, if not all of its funding, is foreign. Um, Many of these uh, regional organizations also, then their funding is foreign. What, yeah? So what, what, what do you have to say about African uh, security and the people? Being able to own their security, uh, both in terms of funding and just just simply ordinary people involving themselves in uh, in securing their own peace.
1: Hmm. Um, when um, you receive um, partnership um, in your security arrangement, there's nothing wrong with it. The history of the world has been a history of partnership people would always seek support where they find weakness. So alliances, partnership, support, and all that. However, when that partnership undermines your sovereignty, that's where the problem begins. So you sit down, review your relationships, and then, um, perhaps take another course. In the case of Africa, and you know, Africa is not monolithic. The countries approach things differently. So Rwanda has done well, with, so it still has long-term challenges. Rwanda, despite the praise we give to it, I've always maintained that it has long-term challenges as far as leadership is concerned. Because when the country a country seems to be surviving on the efficiency of a single individual, it is not good news. No matter how you see it, because after the leader, what next? So that is something that uh, we have seen it in Africa severally, where very strong leaders after their exits, chaos. I mean, uh, uh, follows. So that is something that we have to pay attention to. Again, the security arrangement it starts from the homes. If the father cannot put food on the table, insecurity begins from there because the child will step out and get food elsewhere. And when that person going to provide that food has this negative security orientation, insecurity starts from there. So if it is a criminal, the child is going to be a criminal because the person wants the services of that child or that youth. If uh, the person is a rebel, the person the, 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 the young youth will join. So if you want security, you empower the parents, you empower the household in order and the youth by giving them jobs, decent jobs, in order for them to be law abiding citizens and contribute their quota to development. So it start from there, it's socioeconomic, it's basic. So if Nigeria is declaring food security emergency, we should be worried because that is the beginning of insecurity. Again. The issue of ownership, land ownership. In Africa, there are people who want, who like to sell some land and they are not even getting land tenure systems. It's something basic that we have to address so that people are able to get land to at least cultivate some crops. So economic empowerment, the women, the men, and how we give them this, empower them in order to feed themselves and get something extra to protect themselves. Now, social capital education, health, water, electricity, and all that. Youth are moving to the cities and forming shanty towns and slums, living in slums, and leaving agricultural lands untilled because, uncultivated, because, you know, I'm not giving them electricity. He also has the right to own a phone and be able to charge the phone with electricity and access I mean, get information because when he has access to information on YouTube, he may better his output, agriculture output. But when you don't give them electricity, how do they get that? They will move to the city and become criminals in the city because in the city, you can't give them jobs. So these are the things, the rural urban gap that we have to close. Yeah. Security in Africa is a socioeconomic I mean, problem. However, we have militarized it. Every the first thing people think about is let's get guns and shoot down the criminals. That's all we think about. But we've gotten a lot of guns, but the criminals are increasing. Because in any case, the criminals also getting the gun. And there are a lot of porous borders, illicit trade, and other things that is encouraging it. So at the national level, I think that every country should have a national security framework. Ghana had one recently where national security should be rarely defined. National security advisors should not be people who are thinking about guns. They should be thinking about about food and education and not guns. If I am a leader and I'm choosing a national security advisor, I'll choose either an agriculturalist or an educator as national security advisor. In Africa, a national security advisor is a retired military officer. We are always doing that because we see security as physical security or the kinetic aspect of security. We don't look at the socioeconomic aspect, mm. and these are things that we have to we have to change. And national security does not mean shooting people down or arming people. We must get people who are more resort oriented. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think uh, uh, as somebody, as somebody who's
2: sorry, Sorry. I I know Nathan is excited because he said you should get us an agricultureist.
0: Yeah, I was going. Ah, you took my joke. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, but um, what I what I wanted to say was that what you said is uh is very very fascinating because I actually did a project in that in my studies on sort of this bridging the security and development nexus and styling your foreign policy with inclusive of, of both the sort of military hardware as well as the developmental packages that come with it. So um, how, how would you say uh, countries should be, you've already mentioned hiring people of more diverse skills in sort of a national security council. Um, how would you say um, countries on a, you know, on a governmental and continental, continental level uh, should be able to um, frame their policies and uh, deal with other governments. Uh, uh, deal with other governments um, in trying to bridge this sort of security and development nexus. This sort of, uh, I think it's called human security. So for our listeners, human security, yeah. where you where the individual is important, not simply just the state, because you know. In some cases, the case of Uganda, for example, uh, many people would say Uganda is a stable country, but not every single person is stable. So generally, we're looking at the state stability, whereas individuals in certain parts of the country aren't secure. So human security is very much about your individual security, food, um, whether or not you are being assaulted. It's a much more uh, microscopic type of security. So how can... Sort of states on a national level project this human security uh, and also on a continental level uh, as the AU um, project this human security in the way it deals with other countries because other countries obviously are interested in African security and interested in African resources but how does Africa channel that in their favour?
1: Yeah, thank you very much sir. Um, I think that the African uh, security uh, peace and security architecture should imbibe this and make it, you know, it is already there. Mostly we have very good documents. I mean it's there. But how we practicalize it and make it uh, um, a priority to in different um, um, domestic environments is what what we lack. So we shouldn't make leaders always talk about things in, 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 in the theoretical sense of it we should make encourage the practice of same so that uh, we see results. We see results. If we have African peace and security architecture and uh, the, the arrangement that goes with it, we encourage leaders to, I mean, toe that line because the drafters of these documents are people representatives of these states. So the assumption is that the state supports it. When governments change in African countries, they tend to discard every arrangement that previous governments have started, and that is where we have to stop. We, sh- we must ensure continuity. So we have brilliant people. We have, I mean, look at look at the two of you, brilliant questions. You understand your continent, but at the end of the day, what is happening? You you go and put something down. Someone comes in because of politics, or where they were. Where is where is Zengi? Uh, I was supporting. <laughs> okay. The left is on the right. or oh, whatever he said is then not uh, consequential. Let's start something new. That is our bane, And it has always been the case in Africa. So we must ensure continuity. And the only place such continuity can be encouraged is at the continental level. Asia and the regional levels, ECOWAS, ECAS, SADC, um, 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 uh, IGAD or IGAD. That is the Intergovernmental Authority on uh, Development. That is in the Horn of Africa. All these organizations should encourage this. Currently, we have the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. What are we doing about that? This should be, it's unprecedented because it's something we have to talk about. So when it was actually happening, many people could not believe that it was happening. But it is happening. But how do we think, are we going to take it for granted? Our we leaders must come together and support it and um you must make it a priority when this happens we are likely to reach i mean get that kind of security that we're the human security we talk about human security is nothing when human development is absent because it is through that development that that security can be realized so that development comes with resources Interestingly, Wagner comes to Africa, provides security, and take resources. It doesn't want cash, it wants resources because uh, you don't have the liquid cash. He knows, but you know that you have your resources and you are always exploiting that resource. So where do where where where, where is the cash? It's in someone's pocket. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh that's I think I think those are some, some really um great points and uh because of the interest of time i think i'm just going to ask the, the the final uh the final question um yeah i think you kind of hinted towards uh the answer to this particular question uh, in the beginning but in your view uh how do you see uh the future of africa in terms of security uh do you see um the current status like worsening more cools uh, you know, less uh, policies from African countries that are uh, of national interest, but rather uh, of benefiting, you know, a particular few individuals. Uh, or do you see the situation situation actually improving, especially with the incoming of the Africa Free Trade Agreement and these sorts of things? Uh, what What do you do? You paint a more bleak? Do you have a more bleak okay. view of the future, or how do you see things? Um,
1: I have two kids, and obviously expecting others. Hmm. Um. However, uh, the reality is that where we stand, Africa is not in the very best of places. However, I am optimistic. Okay. Optimistic because. I think that there is knowledge outpour. I mean, the outpour of knowledge, knowledge, there's a floodgate that of open for knowledge to come out and African, African youth are learning a lot. Before I could not get in touch with you in your country and talk to you. I would have to travel before I met you, <laughs> but to, right from whom I'm talking to you and It's very good. We are sharing. You are asking me very important questions and I'm trying my best to share what I have, this makes us better Africans. I mean, it's, it's, it puts us in a better position to implement policies that are consequential positively for our people in the future or in the near future, or in our capacities, little capacities that we can, we can, we can do. This is optimistic. So I think that the exploitation that happened in the past the kind of uh, tumult that we find ourselves currently is not going to be there forever. If we are saying that 21st century belongs to the African, we must make it in fact and not just theoretically. We must make sure that it happens. And it can only happen when we are conscious. But I see that consciousness. I feel it. The youth, I mean, people are asking relevant questions. People are not just talking about uh, issues that uh, do not have uh, 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 I mean, any importance. We are asking important questions. And with these important questions, come ideas that we are sharing. For instance, um, where we, what we do at DESEC Analytics um, Africa Limited, we realize that Africa has begun a lot of attention, but most of the people do, who are coming in do not even understand, and countries within Africa Uh, fans and companies do not understand what is next door in the next country. You don't understand what is there. Ethnic dimensions, security dimensions. So DevSec was established to bring a group of young people together in order to render these services to these multinationals, companies, agencies from within and without that want to engage Africa in a win-win game that benefits Africa. And that's how we established this. So this is an example of what I'm talking about, that the youth is becoming conscious, and they, as the youngest continent on Earth, that consciousness will help transform Africa for the better.
0: Mm. It's a good way to end it, at least for one of the few times we've ended on a <laughs> on a positive note, so I'm very happy about that. Uh, but I think, for me, I'm uh, out of questions. I don't know, Zenge, if you...
2: No, no, no. That was an excellent way to end it. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a drop of optimism. Um, as I was, I, was, I was messaging Nathan, I was telling him, say, silence the guns. <laughs> 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 I haven't been, haven't been able to convince you to say that. But uh, <laughs> uh, there's always there's that term, silence the guns, that's thrown around. So hopefully one day maybe the guns would be silenced. Um, but uh, as it now, uh, not really, but uh, judging by an expert opinion, the trajectory seems to be in the positive in a positive way um yeah
0: so no, thank you uh so much for joining us and spending time with the dummies crew here uh we'll be sure to add um any of the links that you mentioned i think you you mentioned uh, is it Desac? uh your company the company that you mentioned yep, uh desak yeah uh, i think that's a really great
1: um yeah, initiative defining- security defining security yeah. Ah, okay, okay. That's like, yeah, that's a good one, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to stretch that, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good one, that's a great one. Yeah, I think uh, it's a really great um, initiative. So again, uh, from my side, thank you so much for, for joining us and on behalf of all the the listeners, yeah. Thank you and uh, yeah, I think those are the last things and uh, see our listeners next time. Thank
1: you. It's my pleasure. It's- I am an African.